Someone in my social media network posted a question recently. What's the most valuable lesson you've ever learned in life? This reminded me of being with a group about 30 years ago. It was a group of highly successful achievers in business and in life. And the same question was posed to this group. There was a wide variety of answers that was offered up, but one has stood out to me all these years. I'll share it with you here today. Welcome to Changing Lives, Selling Knives. I'm your host, Dan Cassetta. There's a generation of entrepreneurs and business leaders out there right now who are positively impacting the world using lessons and skills that they first learned from selling Cutco knives with Vector Marketing Corporation. This podcast was created to share inspiring stories from Cutco's most prominent alumni and current leaders. On this show, you'll meet successful entrepreneurs, best-selling authors, superstar business executives, and transformational leaders from many walks of life. All our guests will have two things in common. One, they're all changing lives today through their work and their influence. And two, they all started out selling Cutco knives when they were younger. The lessons of the Cutco Vector experience are numerous, are compelling, and are real-world concepts for business and life. Through hearing real-life stories and hands-on experiences, you'll gain insights that can help you in whatever it is that you do in life. Thanks for pressing play. Let's get on with today's episode. Before I share the answer that resonated with me, think about what would be your answer to this question. What's the most valuable lesson you've ever learned? I would encourage you to pause this right now and reflect on that question for a minute. The answer that stood out to me in that gathering about 30 years ago was this. There are two sides to every story. So many times in life, I have found myself forming a strong opinion based on hearing one side of a story, only to have that opinion shattered after hearing and understanding the other side. What I've learned is to reserve judgment, to remain curious, and to seek out information on the other side. And through this process, I feel like I've been able to evolve in some of my beliefs, I've been able to strengthen others, and I've been able to develop a fairly well-rounded and open-minded worldview. Now, I still have plenty of my own biases, of course. Any of you that might follow me on social media saw that I just ranked Steph Curry as the number one player currently in the NBA and number seven or whatever it was ahead of Shaq on the list of all-time greatness in NBA history. So, I, you know, I've got my uh, Homer biases and things like that, but I'm definitely open to thinking and rethinking about many things in life. And in fact, I'd like, I'd like to amend the original lesson slightly to this. There are at least two sides to every story. Many of the prevailing issues of our time are not two sides of a coin, but instead they're more like multiple lenses of a prism. The issue of climate change is an example of this for that I could share. It's an example of where there are a range of perspectives, at least six that I think I could point out. You could break climate change into believers and non-believers, but there's a lot more to it than just that. Among the believers, there would be people who you might call alarmed. 
And they're the ones that would say that, oh, climate change is an existential threat to us in the next 10 years. There are those who are concerned that we might see major implications in our lifetime. And then maybe there are those who you might call cautiously aware in that they believe in human-driven climate change, but they're not exactly sure what the effects will be now. And that's just among the believers. Among the non-believers, there are people who are doubtful, which you know, they think this is probably part of the normal cycle of Earth, but they're not really certain. There are people who are disengaged, who do not think we're experiencing anything out of the ordinary. And then I think there are also people who are totally dismissive, who would say like, oh, climate change is a hoax that's just being made up for political ploys. So there are several different lenses of the prism when you look at just that one issue. And although the alarmists and those who are dismissive number less than 10% each, at least in America, they're the ones that get the most press. And it's precisely these extreme views that push other people further apart. Getting to truth in any sort of complex subject requires a ton of curiosity. It requires learning and openness to change. And I want to credit Adam Grant and the book Think Again, which I have back here, for helping me crystallize a lot of the ideas that I'll share in this podcast today. One key point in the book is that a struggle that we all have is that we tend to cling to our long-held beliefs. Adam Grant points out that, you know, we laugh at people who use Windows 95, but we cling to opinions that we formed in 1995. He gives example of the frog in the pot right? We've all probably heard this example that like, if you put a frog in boiling water, it'll jump out. But if you put it in warm water and gradually heat it up, the frog will die because it doesn't realize what's happening. Well, in his book, Adam Grant says that's hogwash, that that story is completely false. And that in fact, if you put a frog in water and heat it up, as soon as the frog becomes uncomfortable, he'll jump out. Whereas if you put a frog into boiling water, chances are he'll get so burned or scalded that he could die right away. And so that's an example of a story that we probably accepted as being true. And once we accept something as being true, we rarely bother to question it. Now think about how many of our beliefs and our opinions are formed when we're young, when we're in our 20s, for example, or even younger. And for anyone listening who's older than 30, how many of you can look back on yourself at age 20 and see at least some ridiculousness in what you thought back then, right? Ray Dalio teaches that if you don't look back and say, wow, I can't believe I used to think that, then you aren't learning or evolving very much. Think about that one again. If you don't look back and say, wow, I can't believe I used to think that, then you aren't learning and evolving very much. There's a very valuable lesson in that for those of you who are only 20. And the lesson is that you will have an opportunity to learn. And with that comes an opportunity to evolve, but only if you remain open to it. Some people are stuck with the worldview that they had when they were 20. We all see those people around us on social media that just have been stuck in the same way of thinking for many years 
They never change. They never grow. They never evolve in any area. Now, maybe they're right about everything, but probably not, right? Now, I know some, some of you might be thinking, well, you know, I'm too smart to get stuck in, you know, ways of thinking. I'm too smart for that. I think that actually smart people are more likely to fall into this trap because the brighter you are, the harder sometimes it can be to see your own limitations. There's this example I've shared in my circles for many years, and it's something I call the circles of knowledge. If you can picture some concentric circles, a small one in the middle, and the small one in the middle is the things that I don't even know I know. You don't even know you know. These are things that are like instinct to us, like how to blink, right? How to breathe, right? You don't, if somebody were to ask you, well, how do you blink? You'd be like, I don't know. You just, you blink, right? It's not something we really know that we know. It just is part of who we are. Now, the things that are in that small circle are very few and far between. There's a bigger concentric circle, which is the things I know I know, right? The things you know, you know. There's a circle that's much bigger than that, which are the things that we know we don't know. And then way bigger than even that one, right, is the things that we don't even know we don't know. I can kind of give you an example of this based on being a Cutco rep, since I know most of you listening or many of you listening probably are or were Cutco reps. And the example is something that we call the secret weapon which the secret weapon where I came from was a creative use of bonus points to give the customer a discount on a set, right? Bonusing out the table knives, et cetera, using a B block, right? You'll, most of you have probably learned this. So when you're first in training in Cutco, you don't even know that you don't know about the secret weapon because you're not even aware that this thing exists, right? So it starts out in the largest circle of knowledge for you. However, at some point during training, your manager probably said, well, hey, at advanced training one, we're going to teach you the secret weapon. Oh man, it's going to help you sell a whole lot more. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, okay, well now I know I don't know that thing, but at least I'm aware of it, right? Then you learn it, right? And now you know that you know it. You go to advanced training, they teach you how to do it. Now you know that you know the secret weapon. And eventually, if you're a Cutco rep for long enough, The whole idea of using bonus points, using free stuff, right? To upgrade in order to upsell, right? That's something that sort of becomes second nature to some of our most experienced reps. It almost becomes like instinct in that interior circle of things. You don't even know, you know, that you just do naturally. So merely acknowledging that there's so much out there that you don't know and infinitely more that you don't even know you don't know. This should spark some intellectual humility and some genuine curiosity. And a great way to view this sort of open-mindedness and willingness to evolve is what I would call confident humility. That's a good way to look at the way of being that I think is pretty healthy in this regard, what I'm talking about here in this episode today. Mark Andreessen at Andreessen Horowitz, one of the primary venture capital firms in the world, one of the most prominent venture capital firms in the world. He says, he uses the, the uh, phrase, strong opinions loosely held. Strong opinions loosely held, right? We want to have strong opinions. We want to have convictions, but we don't want to be so arrogant that we hold on to them 
in the face of overwhelming conflicting evidence to the opposite, right? So what are some habits we can develop to foster these qualities? I've got a few that I'll share with you here today. The first is this, don't assume, ask questions to develop a greater understanding and seek out alternate perspectives, right? So don't just assume when we hear things that they're right. We want to learn to ask questions to develop better understanding. And we want to look for an alternate perspective, not just the one that we have. I read a story uh, about an eighth grade teacher in Milwaukee named Erin. One of her students complained that his that their history textbook was inaccurate. Now, for most teachers, this sort of criticism would be a nightmare, but Erin had assigned this particular textbook intentionally. She knew the textbook was old and outdated. And some students just accepted what was presented as fact. They had come to take it for granted that their textbooks told the truth. Others were sort of shocked by the errors or omissions, but didn't really say anything. Only one student mentioned it, and this sparked a lesson for the entire class. The lesson for the kids was to think like scientists and to question and evaluate what they were reading and what they were learning. To ask themselves, is there a possibility or a perspective that may have been left out here? I think it's very healthy to discuss the things you're learning with people who you respect. One of my most important mentors, Ken Coleman, has said, he said this, he says, I ask questions not because of what I believe, but because I think they deserve to be asked. You can't always tell where Ken stands by the questions he asks. He might take up a side that's not necessarily what he believes, but he feels like it deserves to be asked. It deserves to be discussed. I think I'm that way a lot also in that you won't necessarily be able to always tell how I feel about something based on a question I pose or an opinion I'm looking to get from other people about something. I ask questions because I think it should be discussed, not necessarily because of what I believe. You see, the purpose of learning is not to affirm our beliefs. The purpose of learning is to evolve our beliefs, right? So don't assume ask, ask questions. The second habit that I can share that I think is important is to refuse to let your ideas become ideologies. Refuse to let your ideas become ideologies. You see, scientists search for reasons why they might be wrong, right? That's the essence of science. They actually search for reasons why they might be wrong. They're not just looking to constantly corroborate their own beliefs and reinforce hardened ways of thinking, right? Sometimes in an uncertain or a debated situation, I've asked other people, you know, what evidence, if it existed, might change your mind, right? You know, we could take this to something as trivial as ranking players in sports, right? If somebody said, well, Kevin Durant is at a better career than Steph Curry. Well, if somebody asked that question a year ago, you might agree, have agreed. And if you ask them, well, what evidence of it existed might change your mind? And they said, well, you know, if Curry won a championship without Durant, another one now, I'd probably move him ahead, right? Well, boom, that's exactly what has happened. So it helps to think about what evidence, if it existed, 
would, might change my mind. Anybody with a scientist mode of thinking can come up with answers to that question. Now, sometimes you might ask somebody this and they'll say, well, nothing, right? This is a person who is clearly fixed into one side of the story. And we have to be able to recognize when and where we are fixed and consider what evidence might actually change our mind. We also have to learn to recognize our own biases. And one example, a big one, is what is called desirability bias. You see, our beliefs are shaped by our own motivations, right? If someone's team is in the championship and you ask them, who do you think is going to win? Most people are going to pick their team. They're shaped by desirability bias very often. To go back to the climate change example, I'm certainly neither an alarmist nor someone who's dismissive of this issue, but I might be a little bit more dubious than others about the issue because I'm optimistic that we'll be able to respond to any challenges as they arise. I'm not panicking about what's going on right now. But at the same time, I have to recognize that this is a form of desirability bias. And therefore, I should not hold on to my beliefs too tightly in the face of conflicting evidence. And also, I think that a person who feels like me should be willing to go along with some measures that might reduce climate change, to, at least to some extent, because of this inherent doubt right, that I have in my own view. It's an example of strong opinion, loosely held. And I think it's valuable to take that approach in areas where we're not experts, right? It's literally comical to me to see how much people put themselves out on social media as being as if they know everything, right? And we just have to realize like the fact of the matter is I just don't know enough about climate change to be able to have an opinion that I feel like is really, really valid. I kind of know what I think, but I have to be open and willing to evolve as more information becomes clear. There's another form of bias that is even more difficult to recognize because it forms inside of us over time. It's based on our influences. Jim Rohn has said there's two words that describe the power of our reference group and their influence. Those words are subtle yet powerful. Subtle yet powerful. You might not allow anyone in your life to just shove you off course. But what happens to us is we get nudged off course very, very gradually, but very, very definitely through the influence of the people who are around us. We gradually adopt the beliefs and the habits of our reference group. The great potential of the internet is to expose ourselves to different views. But the troubling reality of the internet is that it becomes an echo chamber of our own homogenized networks. So think about this. How do you give yourself the opportunity to be exposed to worldviews that are outside of your own? How do you give yourself the opportunity to be exposed to groups, to worldviews that are outside of your own? I know in my particular case, I'm part of a variety of different groups in different settings. I have one particular group 
that is a very left-leaning group. And it provides me with a little bit of grounding in that area. I have another group that I'm a part of that I love that is a pretty seriously right-leaning group for the most part. And the influence there provides me with some basis for new ideas or new perspectives in that way that helps. I also enjoy reading a daily email called The Flip Side. And I recommend this highly to any of you. It takes key issues of the day and it presents it from both the left perspective and the right perspective so that you can kind of gain an understanding of other people's views. In addition to being able to articulate your own views and your own perspective, you should be pretty good at being able to articulate the opposing perspectives and the opposing views. That's when you really understand an issue a lot more deeply. So I would just encourage you to make sure you're exposing yourself to some perspectives outside of your own so that you can refuse to let your ideas become your ideologies. When something surprises you in terms of maybe you were wrong about it, think about how you react. Great thinkers enjoy discovering that they were wrong because it means they're now less wrong. So it actually is viewed positively by someone. Now, to enjoy the joy of being wrong, we need to detach. And that's the next habit I'll share is to detach your opinions from your identity. Detach your opinions from your identity. Think about this how ridiculous it is to have a set in stone ideological checklist that you must abide by. Imagine if somebody said, well, if you are a Republican, then you must believe that raising taxes on the wealthy is bad and abortion should be outlawed in all circumstances and COVID vaccines are a sham and climate change is a hoax and the U.S. has to be the policeman of the world and everything Joe Biden has ever done is wrong, right? I don't know anyone that would just check right down all those tick boxes that has any sort of sense. Everyone has some differing views. If you're, imagine if you're a Democrat and they said, well, you know, if you're a Democrat, then you got to believe that anyone that isn't vaxxed is a renegade or an idiot or worse. Uh, we got to stop climate change in the next 10 years or we're going to die in 10 years. We must have universal government-run health care, and our whole society is racist, and Leah Thomas should be able to compete in women's sports, and everything Trump ever did is wrong, right? You don't have to have this list that you just tick off that every single thing you agree to. These sorts of ideological checklists become religions, and we all know people whose religion might not be one of those religions that actually exists in the world as religions, but whose religion is centered around some kind of political belief or some kind of societal issue that they just feel so strongly about that it's just, it becomes who they are. It becomes their identity. Here's what I think. Who you are should be a question of what you value, not necessarily what you believe, what you value. So, I value fairness. I think this is an important word that I would say I value, fairness. So in valuing fairness, I espouse beliefs that are both 
left-leaning, and right-leaning. As an example, I would say I espouse the left-leaning belief that a highly profitable, super wealthy individual or corporation should contribute a higher percentage of what they have in order to ensure a better society, right? I think that's fair. Amazon, for example, has been built on the backs of regular folk of the world who are their customers, who are their employees. They should give back. I'd say the same for myself and many of my wealthy friends and neighbors and associates, right? We should give back a little more than probably others who don't have as much. The idea of a flat tax, for example, which some might view as the ultimate in fairness, is in reality not fair, right? Now we're asking somebody with very little to contribute the same percentage of what they have as somebody who has a lot. I don't know. I might take a left-leaning approach to how the wealthy should contribute financially for the good of society. To me, that's fair. But in valuing fairness, I also would espouse what I think is a right-leaning belief that a person who is born male should not get to compete in women's sports. Just doesn't feel right to me. It doesn't. Now, these are beliefs, but the value is fairness. So if you could show me through actual evidence that there isn't an advantage to being born male, I would reconsider that position. Now, not trumped up evidence that was written by a source with massive self-interest, right? One thing I find is helpful when I read information is checking the sources, right? There's a lot of sources that are very dubious out there and pretty much should be discarded. But if you could show me through actual evidence that shaving a few extra pennies off every dollar of my wealthy Silicon Valley neighbors and myself would not be helpful, for the greater good of society, then I would probably reconsider that view as well. Now, I do recognize that our government poorly spends many of our tax dollars, by the way. And that brings this whole greater taxation issue into question. That's a whole nother episode. All right. Maybe we'll put that one out another time. There was a recent spark up of the gun safety debate in the wake of what happened in Uvalde, Texas. And I would encourage you to consider what do you value in this debate? I would hope that every single person listening would say, well, first and foremost, I value people's lives here. Number one. Now, not everyone would say that. Just so you know, there are those who simply turn away and say, "Uh, this type of incident is like a cost of doing business. It's a part of life in America. I don't agree. So I would hope that most people listening here would value human lives first. Now, most of us, myself included, also value liberty and freedom and self-reliance. These are bedrock principles upon which the USA was founded, right? I have an Australian friend, right, who has come and said, you know, "Ah, take away all the guns. It worked for us. No, no, I don't get there on that either. So I value liberty, freedom, self-reliance. I think those things are important as well in this debate. So the question becomes, well, how can we support these values while also valuing the many lives 
that have been lost to gun violence in America? Are there answers that could potentially meet both of these needs? Yes, there are, clearly. And so most sane people probably don't value the simple instrument of a weapon over the values I've mentioned here, right? So we shouldn't have our identity of being a gun owner be more important than our identity of being someone who values liberty and freedom and self-reliance and human lives, right? The nature of the weapon is secondary to the values. And so we have to be able to detach our opinions from our identity. That's a key thing in being able to develop this sort of confident humility that I described before. Define your identity in terms of your values, not your opinions. And by the way, I also value things like curiosity and learning and mental flexibility. I'm sure most of you do as well, which is why you're listening to this episode. A fourth habit that I can share or next is to value criticism as a tool for greater awareness. This will also help with your ability to evolve and learn. You see, we learn more from people who challenge our thought process than from those who just affirm all of our conclusions. At Andreessen Horowitz, they would often assign a partner to deliberately take up an opposing view on a deal so that they could carefully consider both sides of the story. They weren't just looking for yes men and yes women that agreed to everything, right? They were looking for healthy debate so that they could find where was the right balance, right? When we get a variety of opinions brought into a matter, we're actually more likely to end up closer to where truth actually lies. One guy in my network was dubbed vice president of bullshit in his organization because he typically challenged the common thinking. He would ask the questions that deserved to be asked, regardless of what it was that he thought about a particular issue or situation. I think it's great to find people in your life who are willing to challenge or critique your thinking and who do it in the right way, because this gives you an opportunity to either strengthen your own thinking or to evolve into new beliefs. Adam Grant recommends building what he calls a challenge network. Your challenge network are people in your life who you respect, but who might have differing views sort of thoughtful critics in your life and and show them that you value their pushback from time to time, because it will help to counterbalance some of the ways in which you might be biased or you might be outright wrong. When I argue with someone or critique someone, it's not a display of disrespect. In fact, it's the opposite. It's a sign of respect because it means I value their views enough to contest them. If their opinions didn't matter to me, then I wouldn't bother. So I do think it's good to seek out some information that is counter to your perspective and and to follow people also who make you think, even if you don't always agree. Now, let me make something really, really, really clear here. This does not mean that you have to give airtime to the lunatics who are out there. Clearly, there are things in life that are beyond debate. And I'm not going to waste my time with a flat earther 
or someone who thinks COVID was a hoax or someone who denies that we even have any problem with gun violence in America. Like it's, it's not that we have this weird thing that happens here that doesn't happen everywhere else. So if someone knocked on your door, you opened it and they dumped a bag of garbage inside, you might be very careful if they knocked again, right? And if they did it a second time, you'd stop opening the door, right? So this is how I view those people out there who have proven through their past interactions that they're utterly one-sided to an extreme or that they'd never argue in good faith. You don't need to expose yourself over and over again to these sorts of lunatics. But this doesn't mean to shut yourself off from everyone else who sees things differently from you. In many cases, the conflicting views of other people who are intelligent in your network are real opportunities for you. Now, the last habit I'll mention today is to engage in rethinking. And this is precisely what Adam Grant teaches in his book, Think Again. He references these forecasting contests that are held, which are these international contests where all these smart people are asked to predict the future and in things like elections and economic and technological events. And they're looking quite a ways into the future with some of these things. They choose a prediction and they choose a level of certainty that they have. For example, 70% certain, 80% certain, 60% certain. And they can update their prediction from time to time. They're given opportunities to update their prediction and or their level of certainty. And what has been noticed is the most important factor in success is how often people update their belief. Those people who are frequently willing to take new information and update their belief wind up having the most accurate predictions. Donald Trump winning the Republican nomination in 2016 and the impending election is an example of where most everyone was wrong. But the people who allowed themselves to update their views based on changing information found themselves on the correct side of this one sooner than others. While most people were blindsided on that, you know, election day in November. So it's important to be able to uh, rethink as we are learning and as we are growing, particularly because we all have roles where we teach or educate or pass on knowledge. If you're a vector manager, right, you're truly a teacher. And I think that rethinking from time to time is an important part of being a great teacher. Intellectual humility, and curiosity is more important than always being right or always having all the answers. The focus should be less on being right and more on building the skills to consider different point of views and argue productively about them. So to wrap this up, here's a few final notes. Think like a scientist, right? We look not just for the ways we're right, but the ways we're wrong. Treat your emerging views like a hunch, like a hypothesis, and ask questions because they deserve to be asked, not merely because of what you think or what you believe. Don't let your ideas harden into ideologies and don't let your opinions become your identity. Find the joy in being wrong sometimes 
and leverage your challenge network to help you grow and evolve and never stop rethinking. In this way, more often than not, you will be able to recognize all sides of the story. Thanks for listening. If you got value from today's episode, please share it with others and consider rating or reviewing us on your podcast player. Subscribing to the podcast is free and ensures that future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. For access to guest bios, show notes, and other resources, visit changinglivespodcast.com. You can sign up there to receive valuable resources for free from people featured on the podcast. And to support our podcast sponsors, visit changinglivespodcast.com slash deals. This is Dan Cassetta signing off. We'll be back in a few days for our next story about changing lives.